hey, this is Doug Jones. You might know me as the Silver Surfer or Abe Sapien from the Hellboy movies or Billy Butcherson from Hocus Pocus. But right now, you're listening to the Candare Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Canned Air, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And we've got a good episode for you today. We have an actor who, if you've got a TV and if you've ever watched it, he's been on it. He's been on that screen. He's been in so many things over the years. Uh, I'll just name a few of them. This is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, he's been in X-Files, Supernatural, uh, DC Legends of Tomorrow, Smallville, Altered Carbon, Best in Show, Good Doctor, Good Doctor, Eye Zombie, Mobile Suit Gundam, and he was the voice of Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four uh, World's Greatest Heroes, which was uh, awesome to see. We've now had Reed Richards on the show. You know that? Yeah. How about that? So uh, very excited to welcome uh, actor and writer Hiro Kanagawa to the show. We had an amazing conversation with him, and uh, I'm just excited to share it with you guys coming up right here. We talk about uh, how he got his start. We talk about music. It's probably my favorite part, I think, (laughs) of some of his projects, and then just uh, being in the acting business in general. But before we do any of that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you want to show some support, head over to patreon.com forward slash candarepod or just head to candarepodcast.com. A lot of URLs being flung around there. And click on the Patreon uh, tab there. A little bit of scratch every month gets you uh, access to extra content, extra shows uh, that we are recording that you normies don't get. you got to go there and pay a little cheddar to but help, us <laughs> help grease hey. our wheel a little bit. But hey, it's worth it. There's awesome content on there yeah get some shit in return and 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 we also have a merch selection on there randy's modeling for the microphone didn't mm-hmm. think that out but all the yeah. same <laughs> he looks good in the shirt well i have a face for radio guys so <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> looks good for the shirt but yeah head over to uh, our again our website candorepodcast.com hit the merch button there and uh t-shirts mugs what kinds of stuff on there right phone cases phone cases yeah let us cover your phone T-shirts. Yes. T-shirts. Let us cover your body. <laughs> hoodies, I think there was, too. Let us cover your body even more. Yeah, there is hoodies, <laughs> yep. There's all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> uh, Randy, what am I forgetting? So, uh, we are uh, proud members of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Check us out on evergreenpodcast.com. See all the great shows. Check us out. And then if you're in the Columbus, Ohio area, or don't mind driving a little bit, September 25th, the Tour Gaming Expo, your boys are going to be hosting. It's going to be toys, video games, comics, some special guests, uh, a, a Dr. Mario tournament with cash money prize, guys. So, it's, it's going to be fun. So, come check us out again that's uh, september 25th and the superkick columbus facility in lewis center ohio you got dr mario skills prove it sucker <laughs> be there be there make them pills go away and win some scratch you said there's some money yeah, there's some money see cash money money makes that world go around doesn't it? and it makes the pills go away apparently. invest that in the patreon <laughs> I like the way you think. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> with that behind us, let's just cut over to our interview with actor and writer Hiro Kanagawa.
Hero, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. It's awesome to have uh, someone with as much, ah, man, just experience. You've done so much and continue to do so much. And you've been in so many of the projects that we all love and adore. It's just quite an honor to have you here. Thank you. That's great. That's great to hear. It's my pleasure entirely. Thanks for having me. I always uh, am very curious to see where the acting bug comes from, the beginnings. And I'm just very curious, like, does this go as far back as you being a child or when did the acting bug come to you? You know, it's interesting. I was in a student film in high school and I was in a couple plays, West Side Story, most notably. But my main ambition in high school was to be a rock star. Uh, and so I was... Uh, in rock band, I had a rock band in in high school and uh, spent most of my time playing guitar. And then in college, uh, I actually wound up majoring in visual art, and for many years was um, a sculptor. You oh, know, oh how cool! Um, and there again, I did take theater classes in college. I didn't major in it, but I was in a few plays. And what happened essentially is uh, in the late 80s, the visual arts, there was a big movement toward performance art. So people who were visual artists, painters and sculptors and so on, they were moving into performance anyway, which is something that I had always had experience in. And so I really kind of got into uh, theater more seriously by way of performance art. So I kind of came in through the back door, if you will. Now I've I've got to backtrack a little bit. You, I'm very intrigued by the band. What was the uh, what kind of music did you guys play? What was your band name? Gale Force, if Gale I remember Force. correctly, it's called Gale Force. You know, a stupid high school kid's name for a rock band. We're gonna blow and, you uh, away. <laughs> Gale Force. We, we wrote exactly. We wrote uh, all of our own stuff. Actually, I wrote a. You know, it was very much in the Springsteen. Uh, oh, okay. Mellon Camp singer songwriter vein. It's kind, kind of awesome. actually, you know, like you would call it American Heartland rock, you know. All right. Um, Talk so, more language. <laughs> and uh, I still, I still play guitar a bit, but uh, haven't been in a band in a long time. Man, I, we would get along really well. It sounds like I'm a huge uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers uh, oh, fan, yeah. and I kind of lump them into that. Uh, that oh, yeah, same absolutely. Genre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've heard you say on other interviews, you're a huge uh, Springsteen fan. What is it about uh, Springsteen that uh, that's so appealing? Well, I'll I mean, I'm you, not saying you're wrong. I, <laughs> totally. Uh, we all love Springsteen. Why do you like him? No, we all love him too. I just I just love hearing uh, when there are people as passionate about an artist as like, I, I guess I am with Tom Petty. <laughs> I'm always curious to just know, you know, what drives them. Well, the, I went to, I discovered Bruce Springsteen in Tokyo of all places. I grew up in North America in uh, Guelph, Ontario and Sterling Heights, Michigan which is a, you know, a suburb of Detroit. But when I was 14, my family moved back to Japan and I wound up uh, going to a boarding school, an international school in Tokyo. And it was quite a culture shock for me because uh, you know, I'd grown up in towns that were maybe 75, 80,000 people. Mm -hmm. And suddenly here I am in the megalopolis of Tokyo, Yokohama, which is population 30 million. Uh, and you know, I had a, I had, it was a private school. I had a uniform. The weather was completely different. 
And although it was an international school and there were some people who spoke English, uh, it was you know, obviously predominantly Japanese, predominantly the Japanese system of education. Being a teenager at that age, I was not, I was pretty angsty. I was pretty angry about having to be there in the first place. And um, I would actually listen to American Armed Forces Radio out of Yokosuka. Oh, wow. uh, and that oh, was wow. kind of my connection to, uh, you know, America and, and North America and that culture. And, uh, and every once in a while, you know, people would, because of course, back in those days, FM radio was FM radio, what we know of as FM radio, they would play entire albums and so on. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, one night it was shortly after the release of darkness on the edge of town. And they played it, and the guy was talking about how much Bruce meant to him. And I went out and, and bought the record. And it terrified me so much that for the next three weeks, I tried to sell it because of the intensity of it. Mm. You, know, I'd, I'd, you know, I had probably the Rumors album. I had, you know, Queen's uh, Night at the Opera, you know, and... Uh, right, sure. But the intensity of Springsteen, especially on that on that album, Darkness on the Edge of Town, was uh, something I had never encountered before. And it was frightening to me. Of course, today, it's my all time favorite album of of all time. (laughs) But uh, just the impact that he had on me at that age in that situation um, is something that obviously it touched me deeply and has affected my life. And it wouldn't be too far to say that in my art, especially in my writing, maybe not so much as an actor because I don't have a opportunity to pick and choose and, and, and take on roles that are that intense all the time. But especially in my writing, I aspire to grabbing the audience in the same way that darkness on the edge of town grabbed me when I was, when I was young. I am percolating. I love those stories. I love those stories and I can uh, relate. I mean, not to keep harping back to Tom Petty, (laughs) but I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Like I remember the first album I had, Mm -hmm. uh, it was that music that, you know, taught me a lot of stuff, not only about life, but taught me how to sing, play guitar, Mm Uh, kind of became like the music of my family and friends. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just uh, absolutely. And I, I saw Tom Petty at uh, Sarasota when I was in college. What year would have that been? Been about eighty-five uh, ish. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, How cool! Yeah, and that's a great. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's a great uh, open-air amphitheater. No, you know, in, I've in never been New York. So. It was a beautiful place to see him play. I've seen him. Uh, there used to be an amphitheater here in Columbus, Polaris. They tore it down, but I saw him there about three times, and a few other amphitheaters here in uh, Columbus, or excuse me, in Ohio. But I, they probably all pale in yeah. comparison. I'm <laughs> sure. Talking about Tom Petty, you know, one of the favorite things I saw online recently is uh, that uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance of while my guitar gently weeps with prince's absolutely incendiary solo at the end of that that's one of the great things that's ever been you know put on youtube or wherever it is you can find it my jaw hit the floor after i watched that that was a great performance Mm -hmm. yeah i love that song in general but uh yeah 
but the, and also i don't notice if you noticed uh or excuse me i don't know if you noticed hero but at the end of that video it appears when prince is done he takes the guitar and just throws, throws it, in, it the up air. in the air and yep. then you never see it come back down <laughs> i know and yeah he just throws it in the air it's uh yeah it's one of those magical mysterious <laughs> moments is you know obviously it wasn't planned but there was somebody ready and waiting to catch it it's kind of like what's his name from nirvana that tried doing that and ended up catching it with his face the bass player (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah but i'm sure it probably just made him 10 times cooler to all the fans yeah (laughs) now you had also uh mentioned sculpting what like Mm -hmm. in the visual art medium what kind of sculpting are you talking about like what kind of sculptures uh, did you do well, you know, in school, they teach you to do everything. And uh, I went to school in Vermont, which happens to be uh, apparently the second largest marble producing state after Tennessee. So wow. farmers are, are just digging the stuff up out of the ground and they're happy to give it away to a student who drives by in a truck. Uh, so <laughs> we, we, you know, those of us who were in that program, we learned to carve, obviously. We learned to weld, uh, cast, everything. They teach you everything in school. And ultimately, I gravitated toward multimedia stuff, um, you know, uh, junk art, you might call it. Yeah. A, a, lot of, a lot of going to the junkyard and finding random pieces of metal and wood and then combining them into... Uh, you know, abstract shapes and forms. I love that kind of stuff. It's oh, yeah. kind of like looking at the ink blots, you know, sometimes. I mean, unless you form it into a very specific uh, shape or, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's like sometimes just the things that people just kind of put together for no particular reason other than it looks cool, you know, how everyone, or like looking at a cloud, everyone kind of sees something different, mm-hmm. you know. Right. I know that kind of stuff. You look at it and I'm like, how do they do that? I would, how, I couldn't even think of how to put something that, like that together. Yeah. But someone else makes something, something out of it that I could appreciate. And it looks like it was something that could, I was like, well, I can do that, but no, I no, can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do look nothing like this. There's a lot of thought and stuff that goes behind that. That just Yeah, there's a lot of understanding of form that's necessary. Yeah. And uh, I had no, I had absolutely no idea what modern art was, what abstract art was when I first started studying it in college. So I mean, it was... I went to college and I learned something that <laughs> I knew nothing about, which is how it's supposed to work, I guess. It's it's a skill I'm so envious of. Like, <laughs> it would be so cool to uh, be able to do that and do it well, man. So then I know it's early 90s that you jump into acting. That's when, at least when your IMDb at least starts to uh, start ticking uh, everything yes. you've been doing. So where where where'd the big move go into acting? Well, I moved to Vancouver and the industry was was just starting to get going here. And uh, by then uh, I had become disenchanted with the visual arts. So as I said, performance art, people who were involved in that were, you know, were were getting into performance anyway. And uh, I kept uh, taking classes, acting classes, and I started booking roles in plays and and then ultimately uh, film and TV. And then, you know, 30 years later, I wake up one morning and I've made a living doing this. So that's, <laughs> how, it, and, that's and kind of a, how it came about. And what a career too. You've had so many 
great properties that you worked on and so many different genres. Is there a particular genre that you're, you're drawn more to, or is it just kind of like the variety of is the spice of life kind of mentality or. I think that uh, I've certainly in Vancouver, we obviously do a lot of science fiction here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the industry kind of grew up around the development of, of science fiction and film and TV. Um, in the early days, it was really, I think, uh, the original X-Files series and and things like uh, the Outer Limits from, from that era, from the 90s, that really put Vancouver on the map okay. in terms of uh, doing quality shows. And, uh, and obviously, because of shows like that, I've had an opportunity over the years to appear in a lot of those genre shows, those science fiction shows. It's not a genre that I originally understood all that well, but I've certainly come to appreciate it. Uh, I've come to appreciate especially the dystopian universes in science fiction, which allow us to to talk about contemporary issues uh, through that lens of dystopian science fiction and and uh, you know the quality of shows that are shot in Vancouver has just risen exponentially from the early days when it was kind of um, when it was kind of a colony where lower budget shows would get sent to from Hollywood. And obviously today Vancouver is uh, not that at all. You know we get a lot of the the A list projects here now, and a lot of them are the the. Sp- the special effects heavy science fiction shows because our industry grew up around that and we now have the infrastructure here. And I apologize for not knowing this ahead of time, but I'm a huge fan of Altered Carbon and obviously uh, your part in that as well. Was that shot in Vancouver or was that stateside? No, that was shot here. Okay, yeah. okay. I yeah, thought I so. Would, I would absolutely cite altered carbon season one that i was in as uh, as a as a big highlight in my career um i think at the time it was one of the first really big shows that netflix produced yeah uh, i think it you know up until then netflix obviously was buying properties that had already been made and was streaming them but i think it was one of the first that netflix actually produced on its own it was one of the first ones I remember, and I just remember being blown away, just the depth of the story, the depth of the characters, the visuals and that. I mean, it was it's definitely one of my top favorite uh, sci-fi series. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because it was uh, one of my favorite experiences for shooting. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break from the conversation here to jump to commercial, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. This is Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast. 
On Ohio vs. the World, we'll travel back in time with the authors, historians, and even witnesses to visit the most exciting, consequential, and too often overlooked topics that have shaped America's history. There seems to be an Ohio connection to so many important moments. When you said uh, Ohio versus the world, we did some damage. So join us and we'll take a deep dive to enlighten, educate, and entertain you as Ohio vs. the world makes history fun again. I've got a little, little nerdy question here, I guess. <laughs> Big comic fan, obviously. And, you know, you've been you've done Legends of Tomorrow, Smallville, and obviously the voice of uh, Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four cartoon. I have to know, what did, when you were growing up, were you into comic books at all? Or what is this just like another another job for you? <laughs> no, obviously, uh, someone of my age, you know, when you think of the pop culture that was available to kids, for someone of my age, you'd come home from school and what was there really? I mean, there was Gilligan's Island. On TV, <laughs> right. endless, endless reruns of Gilligan's Island. And then, you know, if you were really looking for some cool stuff, until Star Wars came along, there really w- were, in terms of reading material and so on, it was comic books for us. It was comic books, Mad Magazine, uh reruns of star trek but yeah uh absolutely the dc comics the marvel comics i was most definitely a heavy consumer of those as a kid and then of course in high school going to japan in high school uh obviously japan is is world renowned for its you know incredible uh huge production of manga and uh anime and and so on so all of that was a big part of my childhood, for sure. Did you have a, a particular like favorite book, favorite hero you gravitated toward? I was a huge fan of Batman. In fact, uh, this is pretty crazy. I, when I came to North America, I was three years old. And uh, when I got out of the airport, this is Toronto. When I got out of the airport at Toronto Pearson Airport, I don't know if it was called that in those days, but I got off the plane with my mom. I was three years old, and uh, I guess one of my dad's colleagues came to pick us up, and they and the car that they were driving was a black, a long black car with fins, because this is nineteen, you know, late sixties. Cars right. had fins in those days, and so probably one of the first words that I spoke on North American soil, when I saw that car was Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I saw this long black car with fins and to me, it looked like the Batmobile. Sure, Sure. understandably. So being a big uh, anime and manga fan myself, um, you know, a lot of the the popularity and stuff that that at least for me that I, I was ex, uh, exposed to was uh, the tsunami kind of early boom in the '90s where Funimation dubbed a bunch of stuff and it came over. Of course, you got to see that a lot earlier. So, was there any particular standouts for you being in Japan kind of around that time? Yeah, when I was uh, in high school, one of the really great shows that that we had and i don't know if it's ever come over here was it was a show called lupin the third it's around i think i don't think it ever not as a series i think i think there's been movies yeah yeah i mean it's uh it's basically uh a team of uh jewel thieves 
led by this, you know, it was, it's, it was funny and it was also sexy. It was kind of like a Pink Panther kind of scenario where there was, you know, Lupin the third is this famous uh, thief. And then there's a, a very bumbling clue, you know, inspector Clouseau type inspector is always <laughs> chasing them and is never successful. And uh, on the team is, is also uh, Goemon who is a samurai Okay, and then uh, the love in- interest Fujiko, who is you know basically uh, Jessica Rabbit, except she's human, you know, and so right. probably <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably the source of you know fantasy for many teenage boys growing up in Japan at that sure. time. <laughs> yeah, Lupin the oh. Third. That was probably my favorite from those days. I want to say there's something on it's on Adult Swim now or on demand Adult Swim or something like that. I, I know I've seen it recently. I think it, it's a lot I think of fun. it is. Just check it out if you've yeah. never seen it. It's a lot of fun. Speaking of Japan, I did have one other question. And I, I don't mean this to come off as stereotypical or anything, but huge Godzilla fan, you being, you know, in the, the newer Godzilla movie, were you a fan of the kaiju and the uh, uh, kind of the Godzilla uh, movies when you were in high school or did that kind of come later? No, even even before high school, when I was in uh, in Michigan and in Ontario, uh, those movies were were often on on TV uh, after school. So uh, I certainly was a big fan of those. And um, I remember my friends and I would, you know, have debates about the special effects, whether or not they were good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I think. I think pre-Star Wars, uh, they were pretty passable. I think that uh, oh, I yeah. certainly found, I was certainly very impressed with a lot of the, the special effects pre-Star Wars. And my mom always made fun of the special effects because you could tell that's a toy jet flying around. And I'm like, <laughs> no, mom, it's fine. Mothra and King Ghidra. I loved King Ghidra. Uh, I think Mothra, the Mothra movies had those twins, those little twins. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I don't remember. There's twin ladies who I can't remember quite what their purpose was, but uh, I think they were like the they summoned Mothra or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's it's been a minute. And then Gamera, the the turtle shaped mm-hmm. monster. Yeah. <laughs> that always had the kids that were always like, oh, could, were they the only ones that could see him, or they, he was just always around the kids, right? Yeah, something like that. And of course, because I had family in Japan. Uh, on my birthday or around Christmas time and so on, I would get books or, you know, all kinds of things or manga and so on uh, that had all of those monsters and characters. And uh, Ultraman was another one. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow, you guys are really up on your Japanese pop culture. <laughs> Randy's much more up on it than the rest of us are. But I, I grew up watching Godzilla movies, and it, it just always kind of struck me. And I've just yeah. always had a passion for anything coming out of Japan. So they always huh. like seem to be on. Uh, at least the only times I saw them growing up would be like Saturday afternoon movies or Sunday Monster uh, Vision on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but there's something about the uh, special. Effect Effects, just that uh, people hold on to, you know, because they still make. I know they have these modernized Godzilla films, but if I'm not mistaken, don't they still uh, make Godzilla films in the classic tradition in the suit, like people zipped up and stuff? 
I felt like they just released one uh, within the past few years. So yeah, there the was la- like a Godzilla 2000. Maybe that's what it was. Uh, I think Shin was the last thing that came out of Toho Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, there might have been one more recent. Was there? Yeah. Okay. I know something about Godzilla. That Randy does <laughs> Did you see that? that? Yeah. <laughs> Sit down, Randy. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just always find it fascinating because it seems like in the states we get in a very we get in like this remake frenzy. Like we we don't come up with a lot of like new stuff. It's always like, hey, let's take this and make it new and flashy. Where I just find a lot of like the anime and stuff coming out of Japan is just it's very unique and it's very mm-hmm. it hasn't been done before. It's a new concept. It just not. Not as hey, we're just recycling it here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what we do here. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, but I think you know, if you live in, I mean, you know, there's a saying that ninety percent of everything is crap, and <laughs> uh, you know, in North America we get the stuff that's good, that's that's uh, worthy of export. Mm. Um, and there's a there's probably a lot of crap in Japan that uh, you know that's is, fair. Uh, yeah, we only get the good stuff yeah. in there. Yeah, that makes sense. That's fine. Like yeah. the Power Rangers. Yeah. Right? Don't forget about the Power Rangers. Super Sentai. <laughs> oh, Super Sentai. The Beetleborgs didn't last very long, so that's well. Good that I mean, was. come on, come on. <laughs> there are no Power Rangers. <laughs> no. Another thing that I had seen on your website uh, is that in, what was it, 2017, you won the Governor General's Literary Award for Drama for a play that you did mm-hmm. called uh, Indian Arm. And That's I was right. just wondering if you could uh, tell us about that play. Okay, so it is a modern adaptation of uh, an Ibsen play. Ibsen is, you know, one of the giants of modern theater uh, and uh, one of his more ob- obscure plays is a is a play called Little Eilf. I believe it's only been performed a handful of times in the English language. And uh, a theater company here in Vancouver called Rumble, they commissioned me to to write a modern adaptation, and uh, which I did. And um, so the 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 main uh, story of the original Little Eilf is a couple, a bourgeois couple, who are, um, they're just guilt-ridden because their son, Eilf, uh, has a disability, which he acquired as a child because he fell off a changing table as a baby uh, while his parents were lost in the abandon of sex. So, you know, the, the play was written at the t- around the turn of the century. So you can imagine um, all of the, the, the Christian the taboo. uh, yeah. um, taboos around sex and so on. So, um, and then what happens is, is that the Eilf dies at the end of act one. Uh, and so the rest of the play is this couple trying to basically re- define themselves and their relationship to one another and to the world after the person who you know has defined their their world since his birth is now gone um and you know if you remember i don't know if you saw the lars von trier film antichrist 
But no. Antichrist actually uses the same inciting incident. In Antichrist, Willem Dafoe and uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, I believe is the, yeah. Or is it Ram Charlotte Rampling? I can't remember the lead actress, but anyways, the couple in Antichrist, uh, it's the same, it's the same situation that has been borrowed from Little Io, which is that um, in that case, in the case of Antichrist, the child, while while Willem Dafoe and his wife are having sex, the child falls out of a window into the street and dies. Right. Oh. So it's the same inciting incident. And um so in my play, uh that's you know, that basic plot line is still there. The innovation which I added was that the couple in my play are um they have a cottage, a family cottage on Indian Arm, which is a glacial fjord just to the north of Vancouver here. And their cottage is on traditional indigenous land, which they are afraid that the, uh, that the First Nation is now going to ask them to give the land back. So in addition to this original story, uh, I also made it a story about the relationship of Canada and its indigenous peoples. Mm. Um, and, and I think that was, you know, one of the reasons why it, it received the governor general's award. It, uh, it seemed to resonate with uh, a conversation, a very serious conversation that goes on in our country and is going on right now. We're, we're, we have a very, very serious problem in our country with the way that the indigenous peoples have been treated. Uh, you may have heard about um, these hundreds of residential school children whose bodies have recently been discovered. Oh so there's a huge, huge scar, a huge wound in our in our national culture that uh, has not healed and, uh, you know, has never healed and has never properly been addressed. And so a, a lot of those issues are, are in the play. That sounds heavy. It sounds good. Yeah. Now, is it is something you'd have to actually witness live? Is, is there like a video recording of the play or anything anywhere? No, there are. There's, I don't believe, well, there's, you know, whenever a play is, um, is produced, there's an archival. So there's probably an archival kicking around, but it's not anything that, that uh, you would want to watch. Uh, it's just a camera set up at the back of the theater on a tripod uh, just for archival purposes. But you can buy the play. It's on uh, Amazon and uh, it's, also, you, it's also available through uh, the publisher Playwrights Canada Press. So yeah, if you're interested, that's one way you could get a hold of it and read it. And you had mentioned you had some uh, kind of other projects and stuff coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, a lot of uh, these, I'm kind of um, under radio silence until the uh, productions are released, right? My, my ability to talk about them. But last winter, I did film a sequel to uh, the movie Orphan and uh, the... Uh, well, it's it's not actually a sequel. It's a prequel. Okay. It's a prequel to Orphan called um, Esther. It's it's actually called Orphan First Kill now. I believe is is uh, is, is the name of the t is the movie in Orphan. If you recall, there is um, a woman 
who is uh, actually, you know, an adult woman, but she passes for a child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, aside from that, she has obviously some sociopathic uh, issues. And uh, so in, in this uh, new version, this prequel to that original story, it's kind of an origin story how she came to be that way. And uh, a family obviously has adopted her and uh, mayhem ensues. And uh, oh, wow. I play uh, a detective who is investigating that case. Okay. That sounds really damn hmm. good. I, I've seen parts of Orphan and it, it it's pretty freaky. So how, how old a film is that? It sounds so familiar. It's it's early two thousands, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Damn, I'm gonna have to watch that. It sounds really good. Any other uh, things that you were you have coming up? You wanted to promote or anything like that, or uh, or just um, NDAs keeping you at bay? Yeah, the NDAs are. Uh, I would love to talk about. You know, I've been back and forth with Toronto, working in Toronto all summer. I'm I have four episodes of a big series out there. Before that, uh, I shot three episodes of a series that shoots here in Vancouver. Just a couple of hours ago, before I got on here with you, uh, I got an offer from a huge series that is shooting here in Vancouver starting in September. Um, you know, I can't really talk about them. You might be able to guess what they are if you... We won't tell anybody. <laughs> I think I know what he's talking about because I think I almost brought it up earlier. I think Star Trek Discovery shoots over that way. Mm. Pretty sure. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Congratulations to you on uh, all those prospects. Um, and I've, I've got to ask, I always like to ask people uh, like yourself who are so talented and uh, you obviously know your craft. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. For aspiring actors, what advice uh, would you give to somebody coming up in the business? If if I'm an example, I think perseverance is most certainly something that's necessary. When I, you know, there are a lot of actors who were around when I started out, and every year, every five years, every decade, they fall by the wayside and wind up doing other things. Doesn't mean they're unhappy in their lives. They may be very happy in their lives, but they're no longer acting. A lot of those people were extremely talented. If I look back over my life, some of the most talented actors I've ever met, people I met in, in theater school uh, and so on, they never made it as, uh, as actors. They never made it, you know, they never had a viable career. So there's really no telling who is going to actually have a career. And um, so perseverance is really key. And finding a niche for yourself obviously as an asian actor to to some extent a niche what we you know what at one time was a niche uh was decided for me but even then you know i've made my living playing authority figures detectives doctors uh and and bad guys but uh my bread and butter has been authority figures, let us say, white collar authority figures. And mm -hmm. in my life, I'm not that at all. You know, I'm a, I was like an artsy rock guy, you know, junk sculptor guy. 
So I'm very far away from the doctors and the lawyers and the detectives and FBI agents who I actually, uh, who have been my bread and butter throughout my career. So that's something I had to discover and uh, figure out. And I think every act, unless you are immediately catapulted to stardom, you have to find your way through the lean times and have those bread and butter roles. And uh, that's what I would focus on trying to figure out for yourself. And then the perseverance of, you know, chipping away, chipping away until I feel like today I'm in a really good place. You know, I have um, a lot of exciting things happening and bigger roles constantly and bigger opportunities constantly coming up for me now. So uh, I'm proud of that fact, the, the fact that I stuck in there and persevered. You have so mm-hmm. many reasons to be proud. You, everything you've accomplished, it's amazing. So amazing. And Hero, I want to thank you so much again for taking some time to talk with us tonight, man. This has been fantastic. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was a great, great conversation. Really fun time. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. And that was our conversation with Hero Kanagawa, man. That was awesome. Such a down to earth guy. And yeah, uh, cool def- dude. Definitely hearing just the breadth of his experience. Like mm-hmm. you talk to these actors, you don't necessarily know kind of their journey and kind of where they started and we had some surprises on that one <laughs> well that's just what's so great about it is because every journey is different not one yeah. of them are the same there's there's not like a set way well, i mean i guess in certain ways there are set ways to get into the industry but everyone's journey is always so different mm-hmm. and there have been times in the past where we've asked people and it's like you know sit around and i'll tell you a tale. <laughs> but there's other times where uh they ask you ask them and they're just like oh i just applied for a job you know yeah, yeah. You know? i auditioned yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, this was uh, man. All that traveling he did—that uh, yeah. would suck. That culture shock of being in Japan growing up. It's kind of funny. He was talking about being uh, a lot of primary, primarily. Uh, Words are hard. Lost. I know. I'm trying to get that word you out. Almost got it, buddy. Come on. <laughs> primarily being an authority figure in a lot oh, of his yeah. jobs. I was a little bit kind of nervous to talk to him, <laughs> but he's totally not that character. No, at he's all. totally cool. You know, it's the same thing when we uh, ever, like, have uh, anyone who's played a villain mm. on the show yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, you just think, you're not a jerk. Wow, you're an actual <laughs> nice guy. Yeah, well, I can think of Pat Fraley with Krang. Like, it just, yeah. that, that, yeah. until we got into it, it was just like, okay, how's this going <laughs> to And uh, Shredder, too. Uh, uh, man, I cannot remember his name. Toro Masamuni. Yeah. Uh, I was intimidated as hell because he was a frightening Shredder. Mm-hmm. And then you get on here, and he's like, oh, yeah, I like Turtle Comics, too. Let's nerd out on comics. And I was like, oh, sweet. Well, you guys were talking, like, Thanksgiving dinner and stuff, too, weren't you? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So. Boy, that was a labor set. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's a story for another day, my children. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget to uh, check Hero out. All you have to do is uh, Google his name. Uh, look in the description uh, for the spelling of the episode. Or it's probably going to be in the title. But uh, also his website, which is just his first and last name.com. He has uh, demo reels on there, projects he's done. Very professional looking site. Again, just Google his name. Yeah. It, it'll yeah. take you right there. He's mm-hmm. easy, easily Googleable. I, I said at that time. So many memorable roles, and I uh, just can't wait to see what's in the future for him. So. Right, right. We think we know one. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> Doug Makes Jones. Sense. Well, when we had Doug Jones on the show, he said those exact same words. He had just got off the phone with it. 
the and, offer for that yep. show, yeah. And he and goes, then, I can't say what it is, but it's something you probably know, sci-fi kind of thing. It's happening I in think Canada. the next day it was announced. I was like, that's what he was talking about. Yeah. So this sounds too familiar, yeah, hero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to pull one over on us. Not the Canned Air boys. All right, I'll quit this shit. <laughs> Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can do all kind of stuff. You can listen to the show. You can see a couple of the special guests that we've had on the show in the last seven years. You can buy some Almost merch, eight. become a patron, see some YouTube videos, and if you'd like to be a guest and promote the work that you do, give us an email on our contact page. And again, evergreenpodcast.com. Great shows. Check them out. Check us out. And, uh... Yeah. No, you're good. I, I just realized I had forgotten to do my spiel, but it doesn't have to happen in order. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, damn it, Jeremy. Real game. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter, Candare Pod. Instagram, Can underscore Air. <laughs> That's all I've got. Go there ahead. There you go. Torgs Gaming Expo, September 25th. <laughs> we got it out. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Hope you really enjoyed this episode uh, as much as we did. And until next time, I'm Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Thanks so much for listening, and always remember to be excellent to each other. chicken hold on there boys wow it's flint instead of writing your name write candarepodcast.com and help spread the word well that's a great idea now we know and knowing is half the battle gi this has been a canned air production Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.